Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to SF Live. My name is Kai Hoffman. I'm the JR Mining Guy on Twitter and the CEO of the SOAR Financial Group. Since we're still in January and we're recording this early January, Happy New Year to you. If you haven't watched any of our videos, definitely Happy New Year to you. And I'm stealing this from another interview, Health and Wealth, of course, as well in 2023. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. We've done a lot of interviews sort of looking back at 2022 and also trying to give a bit of an outlook to 2023. Uh, we've had some great guests on already. Lobo Tigrid, Doomberg, uh, Rick Rule, just to name a few. And uh, today we're joined by Alistair McLeod. He's head of research over at Gold Money. And we've got some amazing feedback on the interview we've done with him last year. So we, we decided we need to bring him back. And uh, his insights are highly, highly valued. And we're going to discuss mostly what gold is going to do and the factors influencing the gold price. Alistair, it's great to see you again. Happy New Year to you. And it's great to have you back on. It's great to see you too, Kai. Yeah, it's been an exciting 2022, and uh, maybe let's open with a, a can-opening question here. How surprised were you to see gold and silver sort of rally towards the year end of the last like eight to nine weeks there? I wasn't at all surprised. I mean, if you just followed the numbers on uh, COMEX, you could see that the managed money category um, actually had no net long position. And I think at one stage they were even net short, which is very, very oversold. Um, meanwhile, you could see that the uh, swaps category, which are mainly uh, bullion bank trading desks, um, were trying to cut their shorts as much as possible. And that's how they got gold basically down to, I think, it, what hit 16, 20, something like that. Um, it was so oversold. Um, we've now had a rally. Um, it is still oversold, if you like, um, but not nearly so oversold and there are a few bulls in there and so we're seeing prices ease off um, a little bit and um, I guess we might have another week or two of drifting lower because after all to rally from 1620 to 1840 I mean anyone who's clever enough to buy the bottom will have a nice profit to protect and they would probably look to do that but we must also bear in mind that um, on these dips uh, the uh, central banks have been buying gold and we are aware that China accumulated almost 300 tons in the last four, five, six weeks or so. So, but, and why, you know, th this raises a question, which, um, you know, if you've got time, we'll get into a little bit, but, um, you know, why is China suddenly acquiring so much gold when it's already the largest miner in the world? It imports gold dory and it never leaves. I mean, gold never leaves. Its citizens have already bought another 20,000 tons um, measured by deliveries out of the Shanghai Gold Exchange and so on. So why are they buying another 200 tons? They have got so much gold, you would think it's completely unnecessary. So something I think is up and that I think could be an interesting subject to explore. Uh, we, we should definitely do that because we want to talk about like what's impacting gold in 2023. So that sort of fits perfectly together. Um, now you've thrown me a curveball here because now it's like I was wondering where, where should we start? Because I want to talk about like five factors that I believe will impact the gold price. And that's one. Okay. The Fed obviously is, is the number one or in my it's like in many conversations comes out. Well, the Fed and the interest rates in the U.S. have a big role to play. Right. It's 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 unavoidable. And uh, the we had the Fed minutes come out yesterday and they're really worried about the recession and that higher rates will impact the e economy and 
push it into a recession. How do you think a recession and sort of weaker earnings by the companies will impact the gold price moving forward? Well, I mean, when we say recession, I think I think it's important to realize that what's happening is that the banks are trying to withdraw credit from the economy. Um, they're already been withdrawing it from the financial sector. I mean, if you see that the amount of margin debt um, supporting financial assets in America, that has actually fallen quite sharply uh, over the last five or six months. Um, and I think that's going to be a continuing trend. The problem that the banks have is that their um, uh, balance sheets have become very highly leveraged. And given that it's very highly leveraged, I mean, that's fine. Well, um, you know, the interest is being paid by, um, you know, the people you've loaned money to. Um, but it's a bit different when you begin to worry that, uh, you know, perhaps we're heading towards a recession. Perhaps um, this has got overblown. Oh, and by the way, prices have started rising incredibly strongly, you know, unexpectedly to many, many people. You've got various other factors like you've got the Ukraine, you've got energy prices. I know they've softened a little bit later. And then if you want to be philosophical about it, you could say that the very long period of declining interest rates, which was really from about 1981 to... um Last year, well, sorry, 19, uh, 18, sorry, 2021, we're now in the 21st century. Uh, yeah, that's over. And perhaps we're now in um, a trend of rising interest rates. I mean, this is not necessarily something that's going to be ticking up every day. But um, over the next 10 to 15 years, perhaps we're going to get rising interest rates. As a banker, how is that going to affect my business? Well, I can see an awful lot of people I've loaned money to who are not going to be able to afford to pay higher interest rates. In other words, their business model um, will be too stressed. They won't they won't be making money. You've got malinvestments. So what am I going to do as a banker? I'm going to back off from risk. And that is what's going on. That is why we've got a recession, because the bankers are now running scared. And we had a warning of this, I think, um, as long ago, I can't remember, I think it was early June when Jamie Dimon in New York gave a speech to a banking conference. And he said, two weeks ago, I reckon that the economy was running into a storm. I've upgraded that now to a hurricane. <laughs> now, that was a very clear message from the most important commercial banker in the world. Uh, that um, he was actually <laughs> getting risk averse and he would be trying to reduce his balance sheet. The problem that banks have is that reducing balance sheets is not something that they can really do. All they can do is reduce the risk on the asset side of their balance sheet. Um, where they have um, uh, uh, deposits, which is their liability, um, that is not something they can close. The deposits are something that only can be, if you like, closed by the other side of the obligation, depositors. And, um, you know, we've had in the past banks fail. Uh, and when that happens, OK, you know, the depositors get wiped out or they should get wiped out. They don't now. Most of the small ones get rescued by, you know, various guarantee schemes. But you can see that, um, that you know, the situation has turned sour. And so, yes, we have a recession. Now, the idea that, um, you know, if you get a recession, then automatically prices fall because demand falls and all the rest of it is um is not necessarily correct and um what really matters is 
a combination of the amount of expansion of credit and particularly central bank credit in the form of its balance sheet, um, uh, the way that has been spent by government in in terms of a deficit, and even in the case of uh, America, helicoptering um, funds to um, uh, people in America, um, combination of that and the confidence that the users of the currency have in its purchasing power. And that is the problem. And I think that what we're likely to see um, is in 2023, we're likely to see uh, a growing loss of confidence in the dollar. Now, this is not going to emanate from, um, you know, the man in the street in New York or <laughs> or wherever in America is actually coming from the foreigners. The Americans assume that the foreigners will always want dollars. But the fact of the matter is that um, they've now got about 30 trillion dollars in financial assets. And that's not including non-financial investments. That has fallen from around about 34 trillion, 33 and a half, 34 trillion um, uh, over the course of this year, um, mainly because of falling um, uh, portfolio asset values. But uh, also there have been um, some sales beginning and Always, always, when you have the beginnings of a currency crisis, it starts in the foreign exchanges and you will find that the people in America do not understand this until it's a lot later in the process. So if you talk to um, our American friends, they'll say, look, the, the dollar is the reserve currency. You can't do without it. Everybody needs dollars. People have borrowed in dollars. They therefore need to continue to buy dollars. They believe in the dollar. But actually, the foreigners are beginning not to believe in the dollar. And importantly, the events surrounding Ukraine, the sanctions against Russia, Putin's stance, China's stance is all adding to a run on the dollar, which is going to develop this year. Really, really interesting points, because one one note I made here as well, like you, you noted in one of your research pieces that as much as three point eight trillion dollars as as per October 2022 have sort of been exchanged back or have yeah. been flown back or a dollar exposure has been reduced. I actually, I'm, I'm missing a logical step here because I don't know where you would send the dollars personally. Like if, right? So, and who's well, taking the U.S. dollar back? Is the, okay. The, the, well, right? basically, so basically, just more of a logical question for me here. Oh, sure, That's sure. Why I'm stumbling? Well, <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's it's a very good question because I mean, quite frankly, I mean, if you were, um, you know, the man from Mars and you were looking at what do you do with your dollars, you you look at the other currencies and you think, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if the dollar's in trouble, then uh, you know they're not going to be much better. Could even be quite a lot worse. I think um, I think, uh, first of all, what we're looking at is not so much, um, uh, you know, uh, the dollar falling against um, uh, the euro, sterling, yen. The rate to watch is the Chinese yuan. That is the rate to watch. And the reason I say that is that only last month we had the visit of President Xi to Saudi Arabia where they really sort of, you know, flew all the flags and everything else. I contrast that with Biden's earlier uh, visit, which I think was, what, end of November, early December, where, you know, he was hardly recognized. And there was certainly not the pomp and circumstance that President Xi had. It was absolutely clear where this was going. We already had um, 
uh, indications that Saudi Arabia wanted to draw on BRICS. I mean, that was confirmed in South Africa, of all places, and um, that has been reaffirmed. And since then, we find that Saudi Arabia is also interested in becoming um, an associate or dialogue partner or whatever of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. But the important thing is in all this is the signal that Saudi Arabia sent over over currency. It has decided to replace petrodollars in terms of payment for its oil with petro yuan. Now, that is a major, major development. What it will do is it will it will make people who own dollars from abroad think we've got to get rid of this stuff. And I think that the way they sell it, they will be selling it for Chinese yuan. And if you like look at the chart of the Chinese yuan, it's actually been really, really uh, pretty strong against the dollar for uh, some time now. Uh, so that would be my guess. There's also um, a secondary play on the ruble. Um, as you know, um, <laughs> uh, Putin very cleverly stabilized the ruble by saying the unfriendlies, by which he means the Western alliance, um, if they want to buy oil, then they're going to have to buy rubles and pay us in rubles. Uh, and uh, what happened was that the ruble moved from, I think, about 150 to the dollar down to around about 60. It's currently about 70, 72, something like that. So that was, I mean, the ruble was the strongest performing currency in 2022, which is quite remarkable. <laughs> so so there's a slight separate play there. And there are various sort of nuances as well, because um, the uh, Eurasian Economic Union um under the uh, chairmanship, uh, committee chairmanship of a guy called um, Sergei uh, Glazyev, that's it, Sergei Glazyev, uh, is looking at constructing a new trade settlement currency. Um, now, the details that have been released have been very, very few, but I mean, what has been released seems to me to be um, essentially political rather than practical. Um, but the way this is definitely going is um, currencies which are backed by commodities rather than currencies that are backed by financial systems. And that is, I think, what the dollar is going to face in 2023. It's going to become extremely unfashionable. You will find that um, at a time when um, uh, America is still having to borrow an awful lot of money um, funded through the treasury market, it's going to have the headwinds of foreign sellers at the same time <laughs> as interest rates have got a tendency to rise. Because I, if you look at the rate of inflation, I know everybody's talking it's going to go back to 2%, but I mean, forget that, that's rubbish. But at the moment, you've got a, an inflation rate of what, 8 9% in America, 8%, I think, in America, something like that. And Fed funds rate of four and a half. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, you know, so the, the gap is too is 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 too great. Now the reason this matters is, I mean, the Fed has got it completely the wrong way, as every central bank has. The um, the reason that you have interest rates at this level or even higher is because foreigners, in particular, see owning dollars as a dead loss. I mean, if it's losing purchasing power at the rate of seven or eight percent per annum, and you're only getting 4%, you know, what's not to like about that? I mean, you know, what you, <laughs> you know, bye-bye dollar. And, and um, you know, that basically, I think, is a scenario which um, the dollar has got to deal with. 
Uh, and uh, as I say, I don't think it's going to be so much moving into euros or whatever. I mean, the euro, to my mind, on rising interest rates is a dead duck. I mean, I think that will collapse. Um, I think it's going to be the end of the currency. Um, so, you know, that's that's where we are. Interesting. Like, let, let's bring that back sort of in correlation to gold, of course, a weakening U.S. dollar. Like, what do you expect to happen to gold? Like, we've had actually a pretty positive year if you compare it to the rest of the markets. S&P was down $500. Uh, 20%, sorry, the S&P 500 was down 20%, and gold was, was flat. Silver was even up 3%. What, what do you expect to happen then, like, looking forward with the gold price? Like, we're, is there more momentum, obviously? Are we going to end the year flat with a lot of volatility? Or where, where do you see sort of things headed on a price level? Yeah. Like if you had to make well, a forecast. Add, yes, I would add to what you're saying by saying in other currencies, actually, the gold price has risen quite substantially. I mean, in sterling, we're literally within something like 2% of the all-time high because sterling has been weak. Um, the way to look at this, Kai, is to understand that it's not gold that changes its value much over time. If you look at oil prices, for example, in 1950, the price of oil, I think, was something like $2.59 a barrel. Uh, today, it is, what, 73 75 something like that, a barrel on West Texas Intermediate. But if you look at oil and the gold price between 1950 and today, Guess what? It's only down something like 20%. And the volatility along the line has been nothing as great as it is in fiat currencies. So what that tells us is the volatility is in fiat currencies. It's not in gold. So we should be actually pricing not gold in fiat currencies, but fiat currencies in gold. And that gives you the clue how to understand the relationship between gold and fiat currencies in 2023. What we're going to see, particularly because of this this east-west divide and the move into the Chinese yuan, the ending of the petrodollar, the birth of the petro yuan, and all these indicators, is you are going to see the purchasing power of the dollar fall significantly. Gold will just go along like that. But what it means is that measured in gold, you find that um, the dollar goes down to something like, I don't know, I mean, it could go to... Uh, one two thousand five hundredth of an ounce could go to one three thousandth of an ounce. I I don't know. Just but that's for reference, what, Alistair, where are we at right now? Uh, in reference, where we are right now is one eighteen hundred and fiftieth okay. of an ounce. Okay, just, just clarify. I mean? Just clarify. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, turning yeah. it upside down. I'm turning the conventional way you look at it the upside down for one very good reason, and that is the volatility is in the fiat currencies. It's not in gold. And in fact, yeah. if you look. The fascinating thing is you can go back, uh, you know, 2000 years. I mean, if you go back to uh, 231, 235, round about then, um, you had uh, Diocletian um, was trying to stabilize prices, having um, corrupted the denarius um, even more than before. Uh, and um, if you look at his, his list of maximum prices, I mean, quite a lot of them exactly the same as they are today. I mean, there's been some volatility, obviously, in some of them, because, you know, I mean, for example, today we can't price slaves. There isn't a slave market. Thank goodness. <laughs> but you can see that, you know, with the sort of mainstream things like beer um, uh, and uh, clothes and things like that, there is a commonality of price the whole way through. 
And in fact, currencies have come and gone, come and gone, come and gone. This lot so far has come, and I think it's on its way out. So it's an interesting historical perspective is actually very important to grasp. Interesting. Yeah, you touched on a couple more points I wanted to bring up was like, again, China, like sort of really stepping it up here, but also... It feels like everybody's too focused on the U.S. You're bringing a bit of a different perspective here with the Petro Yuan and or Yuan and talking about more what's happening on the oil side because that's really driving the U.S. dollar. And it's not really the Fed per se. It feels like even reading the Fed minutes yesterday or the FOMC meeting minutes, everything's like, oh, the U.S. is so important. It doesn't talk about yeah. outside factors really. Like just skimming yeah. through it yesterday, there's no outside factors mentioned. Right. Um, let's let's play pretend here and, and maybe get out the crystal ball. Like the U.S., I believe, is not going to give up world currency status without a fight. Yeah. Um, how do you see them, or what kind of scenario in your mind or in in, in your theories, like what would they have to draw up to sort of protect that status? Like how would they bring Saudi Arabia back at the table? Um, doesn't seem like Biden had an impact traveling there, as you mentioned. Um, like how would they bring the Saudis back? Or turn them back. Well, to, to be to be fair to President Biden, it wasn't Biden. No. Uh, it wasn't his fault at all. In 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 the sense that a different president could have achieved a different outcome. The Saudis have made up their mind. You've also got to bear in mind that the Saudis. I mean, I had this quite some time ago, back in 2014. I interviewed uh, a director of one of the leading Swiss refiners, and he told me then that they were taking in. LBMA 400 ounce bars, some of which were pretty dusty and, you know, obviously at the back of the vault type stuff, um, uh, from Arabia, from, you know, from the Middle East, recasting them into the Chinese four nines, one kilo standard, and then sending them back to the Middle East. So what I would conclude from that is that even in 2014, which after all is nine years ago now, uh, the forward thinkers in the Middle East realized that their future was increasingly in Asia and not Europe. And we've now turned round and told the Saudis, uh, in effect, and also the, the Qataris and all the, the uh, Gulf Cooperation Council members, you know, we've enjoyed burning your fossil fuels, but we're going to put a stop to it. We're no longer giving, going to give you any orders. After a certain date, I mean, you know, it depends where you are, but it could be, say, 2030. I mean, as soon as that, 2035. So what do they think? You know, where's their future market? Well, it ain't in Europe and it ain't in America because we're all gung-ho doing without oil and all the rest of it. So what we will do is we will go to the fossil fuel burners. That's where our market is. And this is why President Xi got a 27-year gas contract with the Qataris. Um, what, six weeks ago, eight weeks ago. This is why he's come, got this, this deal with Saudi Arabia, where, you know, in return for, um, oil, uh, which would be, which will be bought and paid for in Yuan, China will step up its investment into Saudi Arabia so that the balance, you know, just goes down to a minimal amount. And, Subsequent to the official communique in a speech um, in Saudi Arabia, uh, President Xi said, and of course, Saudi Arabia has agreed to use our financial markets um, to uh, offset risks, you know, dealing in oil, oil yuan contracts, um, 
you want gold contracts and so on. So what we're going to see, I think, is we're going to see Saudi Arabia. And remember, they are they very much understand what real money is. And it's not someone else's credit. Um, they're going to be in there putting some of that, I think, into gold. And the other point I would make is that I don't think that Petro Yuan would have had a chance of flying if the Saudi Arabias were concerned about the purchasing power of the yuan relative to the dollar. Now, that's a very, very important point. So what they're telling us by their action is that here is a currency which is at least as good as the dollar in terms of retaining its purchasing power. Very important point, which I think very few commentators seem to seem to grasp. Absolutely. It's like it, it feels like it, it's a it's a lost battle already. But do you see any scenario in the future where the U.S. could actually sort of revalue the dollar and say, OK, this is actually and reverse, you know, the death spiral and go no. upwards? There's no scenario. Well, they've got I mean, you see, they've also got the problem. I mean, apart from telling the Saudis and the other Arabs, we don't want your business to go away. You know, hardly a good start, really. Um, apart from that, um, you've got uh, a Keynesian establishment, economic establishment, which um, seems to think that uh, continual inflation is the only way, and by inflation, I mean monetary inflation, inflation of the quantity of credit in the economy, is uh, the way forward for the economy. Uh, so that's another signal, which uh, I think quite clearly would be read um, in in foreign lands as, um, yeah, <laughs> you know, is this something we really want to be part of? And I would add another thing. Um, I think it was back in early June, uh, there was the St. Petersburg International Forum, which was rather like the World Economic Forum, but Russian version. <laughs> and there... Putin made it quite clear there were 81 governments represent government or, you know, yeah, official government representations at that uh, conference. Uh, and Putin made it quite clear that, um, you know, if you hold these Western currencies, um, well, first of all, he made the point about, uh, you know, 8 percent inflation. So its purchasing power is going down the whole time. Why do you own reserves which are lost leaders? <laughs> so, so there's that. And not only that, but um, the Americans can just, um, you know, remove its value from your reserves completely at a stroke of a pen, which was what um, they, what the Americans did to, to Russia. You know, and all this this audience was sort of sitting there realizing that they shouldn't have their gold stored with the Bank of England or with the Fed, New York Fed or perhaps in Paris. So, um you know, this is this is, um, uh, I think, I think, an extremely important point. And these guys are ready to be stampeded out of the dollar. And I can't see anything to stop it. And it makes me conclude that the person who is most powerful in the sense of the dollar is not President Biden. It's not Jay Powell, but it's actually Vladimir Putin. He can create a set of circumstances really to make it collapse. <laughs> and we've got to be aware of that risk. Now, I think the U.S. sort of uh, forced their hand as well by, you know, weaponizing the SWIFT system as well and the monetary system oh, by taking away their, that was, their power. Right? Yeah, that was the point. That was the point. I mean, as a signal, you know, not only did it have, have um, uh, you know, no no negative effect on, on Russia, um, but it sent a signal to everybody in Asia 
And in Asia, on the side of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization and the Eurasian Economic Union, there are 3.8 billion people. The rest of the world um, is about a further 3 billion who are standing on the sidelines wondering, well, first of all, we're selling more and more commodities to China and so on and so forth. So that's where our interests are lying. The Chinese are investing in our in our economy, not the Americans. The the Western Alliance is only 1.2 billion people and we're in decline. And the rest of the world is industrializing rapidly on the back of Chinese investment throughout Asia. So, you know, this is a no brainer. I mean, quite frankly, um, we know where this is going. Um, the only people who don't recognize it. And, you know, to be fair, this happens every time. The only people who don't realize it are um, resident Americans. Just the same as when you had the collapse of the uh, um, uh, the paper mark in between 1920 and 1923, the people who were last to recognise it were, of course, the Germans themselves. Even you know, the, right until the last moment, until probably around about April 2023, they thought, "Well, hold on a minute, um, you know, perhaps the foreigners are right." And this, you know, and then the crack up boom started. But they were that late in the game, yeah. Alistair, just based on what you've been saying, I feel like I've wasted my time the last two, three weeks focusing a lot on the U.S. and Fed policies, potential recession in the U.S., inflation in the U.S. Everything is is very U.S. focused. Is that actually relevant moving forward, looking at the U.S., or should we just forget about it and and, and look elsewhere? Uh, well, of course. I mean, you know, in investing terms, it's still very relevant and it's going to continue to be relevant. Um because they just drive markets. But um, I think I would suggest looking at things from a different lens. Um, everything in America that we talk about, even the way we talk about the gold price, we're talking about, you know, paper gold a lot of the time, you know, whether it's 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 real sort of paper, paper like uh, futures and things, or whether it's it's sort of paper representing something physical like ETFs, um, it's all paper. It's all paper. Um, the answer, basically, I think, is that we've got a bubble which is bursting. Now, I'm not going to say I'm not necessarily claiming it's going to, you know, the market is going to fall overnight. But if we've got a trend of rising interest rates, as I referred to earlier, over time, then financial asset values are going to fall. You know, quadrat demonstrandum. Absolutely simple. Uh, so. Um, Really, I think what one should consider is to what extent that um, produces unacceptable systemic risk in the whole system, because the banks are overextended. That is um, undoubtedly the case. Um, they are trying to contract their way out of risk, which basically means that they're going to be reducing um, their exposure to uh, derivatives, for example, as well as uh, uh, pure financial lending. Um, they will be taking money out, if you like, of the shadow banking system. Um, you've already seen that the major U.S. banks um, have been turning away large deposits, which have ended up uh, in reverse repos uh, at the uh, at the Fed, which is I, last I saw just on the year end was around about two and a half trillion dollars. I mean, this is a very substantial chunk of uh, deposit money. Um, 
and consider really the answer it must be to just get into real money. Now, this is not an investment um, advice at all. It's almost a disinvestment <laughs> suggestion. Um, but real money is only one thing, and it always has been since Roman times, and it's still embodied in law in virtually every um, uh, jurisdiction um, that we're talking about. And that is gold, physical gold. Gold coin is legal money. The rest is credit. So... Um, if you've got problems in paper, if you've got unacceptable risks in paper and you have got um, a tendency for a systemic collapse from the banking uh, sector, trying to reduce its overall obligations, then there's only one thing to do. Get out of credit. Get into real money. So that, I think, is the underlying argument. And I'm, um, I never, ever give gold price forecasts. Because that's not what it's about. That's pandering to the investors. I'm not talking about investment. I'm talking about protection, which is a totally different thing. I'm talking about getting out of <laughs> risk into real money. And But, I mean, the irony is that if you talk to um, investment strategists, uh, you know, in America and Europe, you know, they think a risk asset is gold. No, it's not. They've got it completely the wrong way around. Anyway. <laughs> That's 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 my view on that one. No, perfect. And I think that's a perfect note to end the conversation on as well, Alistair. We need to bring you back for a part two because we haven't really had a chance to talk oil price or silver and other commodities as well. But uh, we'll bring you back maybe early February. I'll reach out and uh, we'll, we'll we'll catch up on that and to see how things are developing in the U.S. because we got the FOMC meeting then uh, early February, I believe, as well. Maybe we can talk on that and see how relevant it actually was and will be moving forward. Alistair. Yeah. Fantastic. I'd like that. Yeah, Thank you so absolutely. much for your time. We can find more. Uh, goldmoney.com, I think, is the website where we can find yes. more in general, correct? Yeah, correct. And you're on Twitter, at Alistair McLeod, uh, I believe. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, no, it's McLeod Finance. That's the one. Okay, yes, I found you on it, so all, all good there. Fantastic. Alistair, yeah. again, Happy New Year, health and wealth to you. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we'll, we'll catch up early February. We'll need to bring you on and uh, talk okay. about some other commodities that besides gold, because I know you have very valuable opinions on that. Yeah. Fantastic. Everybody else, thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode with Alistair McLeod. He's the head of research over at Gold Money. I learned a lot because I learned to look outside of, uh, you know, sort of our echo chamber here as well and look at other factors influencing gold price and our current environment that we're in. Uh, it, it helps to keep a broader mind, a broader focus and broader perspective. So make sure to do that as well. I, I highly recommend going to goldmoney.com and reading Alistair's research as well. It, it really helps understanding what is driving the markets. It's not just the Fed and the U.S. dollar. So look at other things. It's the Petro-UN and others, that, as we just found out in our conversation. If you like this conversation, make sure to A, hit the subscribe button. I know roughly 85 to 90% of you watching this video are not subscribed to the channel. What's up with that? Let's change that. Really appreciate it. Hit that like button, of course, as well, and leave a comment. What do you think will happen? And uh, happy to discuss. Uh, I'm sure if there's some questions for Alistair, happy to forward them as well. And I'm sure Alistair will get back to us there as well. Yep. Thank you so much. We'll be back with lots, lots more and uh, appreciate your time. Thank you.